Well, good morning. Good morning. How are you today? Well, we're glad you're here. Pastor Charlie's uh, taking the weekend off, and it's a privilege. I'm Corey Bushonic, the growth pastor here at Fellowship of the Rockies, and it's always a great privilege and honor to be able to share God's Word with you. And uh, a couple of things in regards to uh, what you were just seeing there with our announcements is that, number one, uh, we've not really communicated yet out today, but we want to let you know that all evening events here at Fellowship of the Rockies are going to be canceled this evening. And so if you've got teenagers or children that are part of our programming, we just want to make you aware of that. But also what Brandon was just talking about there in regards to life groups. You know, for those of you who may not know, that's one of the primary areas in which uh, I facilitate here at Fellowship of the Rockies. And it's something that for me, uh, not only do I understand it, I have a great passion for people to, to recognize the importance of what community and being in community really looks like. I don't know about you, but growing up for me, I carry a lot of memories. I carry a lot of, of understanding of what local church looked like for me as a child. Maybe today... It's your first time. You've never really stepped into the life of a local church. And maybe today is the first time you've really ever experienced what this looks like. But regardless of where you are in that journey, what if you had the ability to really look at the future differently? I mean, for me, I grew up remembering that I would tell people I had a drug problem. I was drugged to church every time the doors were open. <laughs> and I carried with that a lot of things that some I didn't really like, some things that just really didn't set well with me and what, what church looked like. But what if you could really change what the future of church looks like for you? See, Scripture gives us a pretty clear, actually a pretty simple idea of what real community and real church looks like in the body of Christ. And this morning, if you have your Bibles or your electronic device, I'm going to invite you to turn with me even to the book of John before we get into the book of Ephesians this morning. But here in the book of John, it says, A new commandment I give to you, here in chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. See, Pastor Charlie, over the last few weeks, has been in Ephesians chapter 5 in a series that we've entitled Learning to Love. And what he's been looking at in the relationship dynamics of a parent-child or in a marriage relationship or, or love even expressed within the life of community, that this morning, I want to take that even a step further. And that when I look at what, what this passage here in John's talking about, the, the example of what it looks like by this kind of authentic love as Christ loved us, that all people would know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. I mean, is that love kind of just the picture of something emotional? Is it something that you remember as a child when you would fill out that piece of paper, guys, and you would send it a couple of desks over to that little girl saying, hey, if you love me, check yes or no. If you didn't do that, I'm sorry. I, you know, I remember that in a way that you just had this feeling of, I hope it comes back yes, I hope it comes back yes. And if it comes back blank, then you have nothing to go on, you know? Or what about that high school crush kind of love? That ooey, gooey, chocolate chip, chewy kind of love that changes with one week to the next? And is that, oh, it's so cute. I mean, really think about it. It's kind of nauseating. What if our welcome team each week when you came into church greeted you with that kind of love? Oh, I love those shoes. Those are adorable. I mean, it would just get really weird quick, wouldn't it? That love is so much different than just this emotional response or this emotional take on circumstances or life around you. I mean, 
if we really talked about it in depth, probably most of us would say that love doesn't necessarily change with circumstance. Or would we? Does love change with passing time? Pastor Corey, we just, we just fell out of love. I used to love him, but I don't think I do anymore. I don't think that's the kind of love that we're reading about there in the passage we read in John. Or does love change because we didn't get our way? Corey, they just stopped listening to me. A few weeks ago, Pastor Charlie mentioned that on average, women use 21,000 words a day. And on average, men use seven. When we got home, my wife and I were talking about that. And she goes, well, you know, it's probably true if I wouldn't have to tell you three times to do something. <laughs> Not true. Um, but, but the reality of it is that love that we see here in this new commandment that's been given to us that we love one another, that we would understand not just how to love one another, but understand the love that's been expressed to us through Jesus Christ. He says it in verse 34, this new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, how? Just as I have loved you. You also love one another. If you've ever purchased a house or you've been around someone that deals in real estate, you know they kind of dri they're driven by three specific principles. And it's driven by one particular word, location, 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 when dealing with property. But when I look at the dynamics of relationships, I think it's driven by a similar principle, but the word is observation, observation, observation. See, when we engage in what real love looks like, I believe that we can't read this particular passage of Scripture without truly asking three pressing questions for every believer. The first question I believe that comes out of that is that, number one, how do I explore Christ's love for me? And how do I really understand Christ's love for me at a deep level, at not just some passing superficial take on things, but a real understanding of how Christ loves me, how he's demonstrated that love for me in time past? What does that look like for me today? But the second question I believe that's pressing for any believer is, where do we model Christ-like love for one another? I mean, how do I show this in a real and tangible way to people that I do community with? What does that look like for me as a believer? This morning, I want to take you back to a passage that Pastor Charlie's dealt with in weeks previous, but I want to take a look at it from a little different perspective. It's back in Ephesians chapter 3. And... For, for those of you that have been traveling with us, you know that we've walked through a number of aspects of Paul's writings that's carried some pretty deep theological concepts, some deep issues. And prior to this passage, leading up to this verse, we recognize that some of those things that Paul's been dealing with, he's been dealing with in somewhat of kind of a different tone. And now when we get to chapter 3, there in verse 14, we begin to see kind of a tender side of Paul coming out in his attitude toward the church here at Ephesus, to the body of Christ in this city that I believe Paul has great affection for. And now we begin to see a shift away from some of these deeper theological things and now getting into more of a personal take on the believers that he's been writing to. And it says here in chapter 3, verse 14, that says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit 
in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. When you begin to look there at verse 14, you begin to see a phrase that for this reason... Well, again, you you have to understand what's been leading up to this. But Paul has an understanding that as he's writing to the church of Ephesus, Ephesus, he realizes that not only the Jewish population, but also the Gentile population, he is aware that they have been granted an understanding of the fullness of Christ's power and work on the cross at Calvary. He understands that the Gentiles have now come into an understanding of who Jesus Christ is as a personal Lord and Savior. And they have an understanding of the fullness that they have this access to God just as the Jewish culture has. For this reason, he's saying to each of you, to all of you that know Jesus Christ, for this reason, I pray that you may be strengthened in spiritual power, in love and knowledge. See, within this short passage, I see a great purpose for the body of Christ. And it's understanding why it's so important that we do life together. And here at Fellowship of the Rockies, this looks common for many people as we do life together in life groups. And for those of you that have found a place in a life group, you may connect with some of this, but maybe you're here today and you've never experienced what doing life together in the midst or the context of a life group, what that really looks like. But I don't believe we can explore what Paul's really writing here with this idea that I do this alone. Because see, what Paul's actually doing in this writing, in these simple verses, is he's building on four specific contexts. These ideas that the principles that he's laying here out are not individual. They're They're not set aside on their own. They're building one on top of another. They're not individual in nature. They actually come together where there are four things that I believe Paul is trying to portray in a very simple yet very powerful way. And that number one, I think he's pointing out that the inner man might have spiritual strength. Which I believe for number two will in turn produce this leading to a deeper experience with Christ. I believe another principle there of the four, the number three, this deeper experience will enable them to apprehend or to get a hold of God's great love. Which in return will produce number four, their being filled unto the fullness of God. So then Paul's praying for strength, for depth, for apprehension, and for fullness. And here at Fellowship of the Rockies, we believe we can take a step through each one of these processes in the life and the midst of life groups. We believe you do this together corporately. So this morning, I want to take an opportunity to break these four things down a little bit more um, easily. Uh, Point number one I want to make this morning is that life groups help disciples develop inner spiritual strength. See here again in verse 16, Paul's writing that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. The heart of Paul's petition here is not just simply having a a hope. It's actually having an understanding of a victorious life that's rooted in power. It's rooted in love that moves beyond just a casual or flippant prayer. He's actually praying that these people would know a genuine victory in their life in the midst of community. And one of the things that I believe so deeply about life groups is that they're a safe place for people to really explore in an authentic and transparent way regardless of where you are in your journey. To where you're trying to still figure out what that means for Christ to be your Lord and Savior. For you to have stepped into that new relationship with the King. Or for those that have been journeying with Him most of your life. There's an authentic reality in the midst of that community. In the midst of those relationships. Where people together can explore the questions and the realities of life. As they find out deeper about the the love of Christ. The prayer that Paul's writing here, though, in chapter 3, I want you to understand, if you've been tracking with us through this book, this prayer looks different than the prayer we see Paul praying for them back in chapter 1. See, if you were to contrast those two things, back in chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, Paul's prayer has a different tone. It says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which you are called. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance? What? In the saints. And what he's praying here in chapter 1 is about this hope and is about this calling. But what he's praying for them now in chapter 3 is not only simply understanding the hope and the calling, but now understanding the power that is behind that hope and calling. And he's helping them understand that as they bring these two things together, that it's done in the midst of the saints. It's done in community with other brothers and sisters in Christ. In community. Growing up, I remember that we had a number of encounters with families. I'm the youngest of four preacher kids. Uh, And I remember my brothers and sisters all having kind of different aspects of that journey that we grew up in in a pastor's home. And I remember we encountered families that at some time or another in their journey had decided to say, you know what, I just, I just don't want anything to do with the church anymore. I, mean, I love Jesus. I just don't want to do church. And we used to call those Lone Ranger Christians. But you understand that even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. The community has always been part of the way we're wired. And the idea of what, what Paul is writing here, and he's creating this picture and understanding that understanding the fullness, the power, the hope, the joy in Christ is done in the midst of community, that that, is, that, that principle, that the apex of our calling in Jesus Christ is so powerful that could you ever as a parent think to look at your child and say, hey, you know, I, I know they've been treating you kind of poorly down there at work. I know you got your feelings hurt. I don't think you should go back there anymore. I mean, I don't think a paycheck's really that big of a deal. You just stay at home. Don't worry about going to work again. And then your 52-year-old son's still living in your basement. <laughs> the realities of what we, what we would parent our kids as responsible young adults 
and helping them understand what it looks like to be gainfully employed. But yet we would think that in understanding our God, our creator, we could move away from the the knowledge of community because we think we can do it alone. Paul's trying to express to them how important it is for them to be able to explore God's presence and power in their life together. Because what we understand is that the closer I draw to Christ, the further I move from sin. The greater his presence and power in my life, the less culture and the norms that we see day in and day out in our lives have that effect on me that pull me away. See, as the strength of God increases, sin begins to decrease. This is what it looks like to take that that look at our inner being and our heart for God. But I think point number two this morning is that life groups explore the indwelling work of Christ in our hearts. See, in verse 17 there in chapter 3, he goes on to say, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. See, if you just read that individually, I think you miss. But go back to verse 16 and read it again. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell. Where? In your hearts. How? Through faith. In what? Love. You see how this is building? How that telescope is beginning to get further and further out to gain a picture of that thing out in the future that's so beautiful in Christ. So that it's the spirit working in the inner man to helps us discover and it discloses that which hinders Christ fullest in dwelling in our life. He's saying so that that you move beyond what you what you've previously known and you move into a deeper understanding of Christ's dwelling. Well, you have to really understand that word dwelling though. See, if you, if you break that word down, you take it apart in its original context, you understand the word dwell means to be at home in or to have freedom to every space, to every room, to every closet in your life. Now all of a sudden it gets a little uncomfortable. I think, wait a minute, I'm going to explore those kind of spaces in my life in community? I'm going to have to allow God to speak to me in ways that, that, that's authentic, that's real. But see, dwelling, that Holy Spirit's dwelling is taking place in our hearts. Why our hearts? See, most of us would say our hearts because that's where the emotional realities of our life come from. But Scripture wouldn't line up with that, though. See, when Scripture talks about heart, if you go back and you look at that closely, you begin to see that Scripture often relates intellect to the heart. We can see this in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. that says, Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, the author writes that, This you must know, watch over your heart. With all diligence, for from it flow the wellsprings of life. See, in Scripture, the heart resembles much, much more than just emotions or feelings. It includes our thinking processes and particularly our wills. See, once our will is influenced by our intellect, we know that when I'm committed to something, 
My will is involved. And when my will is involved, that begins to influence my emotions toward that. And he's speaking about that dwelling in the heart, in the place of our intellect, in the place of of who we really know we are. But can you grow in love outside of relationship? That love that we're rooted in, can you grow in that? Because Paul says that's actually built on the thought of their faith. Paul's building this whole concept of relationship on faith. And faith is strengthened in the life of community. You will say, well, how? He's saying that it's grounded and it's rooted in it. It's interesting if you look at his, his context, you look at the culture or, or, or people, audience he's speaking to, you recognize that he uses two very different words. One's, ar- uh, one's agricultural, the other's architectural. And that word grounded is talking about a root system that's not just simply uh, this, this casual plant that you pull out of the ground. He's using the word rooted that, that actually translates as to render firm, to fix, to be firmly established, to be strengthened with spiritual roots, to be firmly fixed with the focus upon the source of its strength. That it's this kind of root system that regardless of the wind, regardless of the water, regardless of the raging circumstances around it, is that what you see on the surface has no comparison to what's beneath that soil that's so deeply rooted in the very thing that's giving it life. But then he uses that aspect of architecture where he says, and it's grounded. And as you break that word down, you begin to see that something that is firmly fixed on a foundation. Something that is so firmly fixed that it's not moved by winds or floods or the storms or waves of suffering, of circumstance, chaos. It's rooted and grounded in what? Love. And not again this this sappy, goofy, nauseating love, but an agape love. A love which is unconditional, it's sacrificial, it's giving even unto my enemies. It's this quality of supernatural love that the Father so displayed on the cross of Calvary that allowed my sin to be washed and to be placed as far as the east is from the west. That kind of love, he's talking about our hearts and our minds, our lives being deeply and firmly rooted in. But I think we have to push the telescope out even another, another portion. The point number three this morning, I think Paul's talking really specifically as we look at Fellowship of the Rockies, I believe life groups provide a safe place to explore the vast nature of God. See, Paul's exploring this this nature, this character of God in such a way that in verse 18 he says, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. So wait a minute. I've got to go back. Look at how it leads into that in verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength. To what? Comprehend with all of the saints in community, join together what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. Could he have been any more comprehensive? I mean, could he have, could he have painted a, a more expansive picture of the community or the characteristics or the nature of God? 
the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. But he says that you may have strength. This is actually a pretty complex compound word in the Greek. When you break down that phrase, it's a compound word. It's the strongest Greek word we know of for strength that signifies one completely capable of doing or experiencing something specific. Let me say that again. It's this strength that signifies one completely capable of doing or experiencing something specific. That you may have this strength that is so complete. Where? Amongst the saints. It's a strength to comprehend. It, it means having a deep desire that Paul has for these believers to grasp the true nature of God. He's trying to paint a picture that they can actually lay hold of. That they can, they can stake something in. They can stake their lives in. But it's not just the nature of him, it's the unmeasurableness of him. Once again, I believe community is where we truly explore this. I think it's where we understand the, the, the God's love and what it's produced in our lives. Because right? when you think about it, most of us in this room, I, I think I would agree with this statement at least, that there are a number of questions in my life that if I'm not asking them, I'm not looking for the answer. I mean, honestly, if I don't ask certain questions about the condition of my life, the condition of my heart, the condition of my thoughts, I'm typically not just coming to a revelation of those answers. And one of the beauty of, one of the aspects of beauty in life groups is that there are questions on a weekly basis being asked that are honest and transparent types of questions that we're exploring together, that we're looking for answers that we're typically not asking on our own. And I've just always said that if you're not looking for the right answers, you'll rarely ever find them. Because if we don't ask those, I believe we're, we're not really able to comprehend what Paul's talking about here. If we're not seeking out the fullness of who Christ is, if we're not trying to understand his love and the depths of it in our lives and for our lives, I don't know that we'll ever truly understand that picture, that nature of God's character that he desires to lavish over me. But number four, I believe life groups model. They model the love of Christ. See, as he writes there in verse 19, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And that is an overwhelming petition. An overwhelming thought that I could know the love of Christ that surpasses my knowledge. That I could be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul seems to be praying that we and, and all other believers may be filled up or onto all the fullness of God himself. I have a hard time believing that we can truly explore that outside community. Outside of understanding what God's done in the life of others, how he has seen them through suffering, how he's seen them through difficulties, how he's seen them in victorious moments, how we explore and experience with one another what God's doing and how he's moving in our lives in such a way that our faith is strengthened because of the faith of others. 
We talk about it each week with prayer partners as they come forward. That we talk about adding their faith to your faith. And it's done in community. I mean, when we think about it, we're really willing to go to some pretty great lengths for something we love. I'm not talking about, again, that that sappy emotional kind of love. I'm talking about some things that we genuinely want to be part of our lives, that we begin to invest real love in. I remember when I was dating my my wife today back in college, uh, there was a point in time in our journey as we were dating that I began to realize this is the woman I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. Because of her character, because of who she was, because of her beauty, because of the, the nature of our relationship, I began to understand that this was the girl that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. And when I came to that conclusion, I began to think about that moment that, that I would ask her to do that very thing. I would ask her to not just simply marry me, but spend life together with me. And I'll never forget, I approached a, a student at Oklahoma Baptist University where we were attending, and his name was Brad Riggins, and I asked Brad if he could show me some, some chords on the piano because I wanted to start putting together a song. And I began to put pen to paper, and I began to put some thoughts down, and month after month after month, for about eight months, I spent hour upon hour in the piano labs there at Oklahoma Baptist University trying to hammer out this song because in the back of my mind, I wanted this to not just be some, some simple occasion. I wanted this to be something that from me to her, she would truly understand how much I love her. And at Oklahoma Baptist University, every spring, we have an event called Spring Affair. And it's an event where all different kinds of acts, all different kinds of talents would actually try out for this, this talent show that would be performed in front of all the student body, the community there in Shawnee, Oklahoma. And I remember that I began to put some of the final touches on this song, and I tried out with about 80-something other acts. And eight acts were chosen out of those, those different types of talent. I was one of them. I'll never forget that night when it arrived and spring affair was upon us. And I remember going to pick up Heather and I went to her dorm and I told her, I said, I'm just really not feeling well tonight. I don't really want to go, but I know you do. And I mean, I'm willing to go and try and tough it out, but let's, let's just go ahead and go. And we sat down close to the front. But what she didn't know is that I invited all of her family and all of my family and the entire campus knew but her. And about halfway through the show, I looked at her and said, I just, I've got to step out. I don't feel well. I'll, I'll come back in a few minutes when I feel better. And I said, stay here. I'll, I'll be back. And I made my way out the back door and I went around behind the stage and I came in through the back of the auditorium and the act before me had concluded and I stepped out and I took the microphone there at the piano and I said, would Heather Smith please join me here at the piano? And the crowd got real quiet, kind of like this. And... Um, <laughs> And our dean of students walked to her aisle and he had a bouquet of roses and he took her by the hand and put the roses there and walked her up and sat her down at the piano with me. And I think the entire piano was shaking so much because I was so nervous. And I began to play. I sang the song. And, and it kind of got a little humorous at this point because of as, as I took my wife by the hand and I went to center stage and I got down on one knee and I, I asked her to spend the rest of her life with me. What people didn't recognize that weren't part of the OBU culture that didn't know me personally is that all of my friends, a lot of my family, they all knew me as Boo. My last name's Bouchonic, so they just called me Boo. And when she said yes, half the audience was like, Boo! 
And everyone in there was like, what in the world? I mean, this poor guy. And some of my lifelong friends that were close to the front stood up like, boo! And this older couple stood in front of them like, that is so rude. Why would you boo him for that? You know? And and for me and Heather, we kind of laughed about that in this moment. But I, I wanted her to understand that not just in that moment, but in years to come. As today, she tells that story so much better than I do. But it's something that in her life, she, she saw not just simply my words, but she saw a display, a demonstration of a husband that said he genuinely wants to spend his life with her. What does that look like for us in community to demonstrate something that we talk about as a, a deep love for Christ? That's, that's more than just this emotional response to, to Jesus, but it's an actual connection that is grounded, grounded and rooted in his love. See, to be filled with the fullness of God means that we're demonstrating that love the same as Christ did. Life groups are stepping out and serving together in a model that demonstrates this love of Christ. See, it's not simply about doing community just together, but that community is now beginning to express itself beyond our life groups as our life groups explore together how to serve in the life of Pueblo. That we have life groups that are going out on Sunday afternoons to serve with Everybody Counts, our homeless ministry here in Pueblo. As life groups are coming together and going out on, that, on Sunday afternoons and, and they're serving people that are less fortunate in this season of their life. And whether it's rain, whether it's snow, that this afternoon in freezing weather, there will be people serving people in great need that have no home but need a meal. And our life groups are part of that. We have life groups that have connected with a caring pregnancy center here in Pueblo. And they've connected in ways where they're going in and they're serving with families that maybe are uncertain or even have unwanted pregnancies that they don't know how to address in their life. And we have life groups that are beginning to display that love of Christ in places that this community desperately needs to see. We have life groups that have connected with uh, the Pueblo Cooperative Care. And they're stocking food or they're serving with, with people, helping them find clothing or food for a simple meal this coming week through that particular organization. And life groups are beginning to model outside of their groups as they understand that love of Christ, they're now expressing it beyond even the borders of where they meet to a community that needs to know Jesus Christ. What does that look like for you though? What is that next step for you in understanding the fullness of his love for you? I believe today that God... God desires to help you understand the fullness of his indwelling. You didn't have to come today. I mean, really, the, the snow was enough to say, you know what? I don't need community today. It's snowing outside. It's cold out there. But I also understand that you're not here by chance. That today I believe God has a next step for every one of us in the process of understanding the fullness of his love. What is that for you today? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? What's God saying to you this morning about his word? What's he saying to you as a result of the message today? We talk a lot around here about your next steps. What will your next step be today? What's he saying to you in this moment? 
Father, I'm grateful again for the opportunity to, Lord, explore your word with the life of your body, with your church. And Lord, I'm always grateful to see how your word produces such a, a unique power, a unique presence in the life of your people. And Father, today, my prayer, my ask, my desire is that each and every person here would simply take a next step. It doesn't have to be a gigantic, huge step, but Father, just a simple step closer to their understanding of your nature, the understanding of your indwelling and your fullness in our life. Lord, today my prayer is that each and every one of us would catch a glimpse that's a little deeper than what we've seen before about who you are. So, Father, this morning is, is Father, we prepare all to, to go our separate ways, to make our way back home or to make our way out to lunch or, or to simply go about the day with, with a normal routine. Lord, I pray today that each one of us here would examine what that next step before we leave this place truly looks like. Father, we love you. Love your word. So, Lord, in this time, speak to your people. In your son's name we pray. Amen.